The following is a message by Dr. Dennis Johnson from Westminster Seminary, California. For more information about this message or Westminster Seminary, visit us online at wscal.edu or call us at 888-480-8474. That's online at wscal.edu or call us at 888-480-8474. We continue our reflections on the books of Kings, and as Pastor Keel indicated last week, his message and mine dovetail very nicely together. We were each thinking of uh, events in the life of King Joash of Judah. Uh, as you remember last week, we were thinking of uh, Athaliah, Joash's grandmother, and the Lord uh, defending uh, the infant king uh, from her rage through the courage uh, of the priest Jehoiada, a faithful priest. Uh, today we look at Second Kings chapter 12, the reign of Joash after his coronation, which, as you'll recall, began when he was uh, just uh, took place when he was seven years old. Um, and that is the reminder in the last verse of verse 11. Jehoash, another name for Joash, was seven years old when he began to reign. Now hear God's word from chapter 12 of Second Kings. In the seventh year of Jehu, Jehoash began to reign, and he reigned for 40 years in Jerusalem. His mother's name was Zibiah of Beersheba, And Jehoash Jehoash did what was right in the eyes of the Lord all his days because Jehoiada the priest instructed him. Nevertheless, the high high places were not taken away. The people continued to sacrifice and make offerings on the high places. Jehoash said to the priests, all the money of the holy things that is brought into the house of the Lord, the money for which each man is assessed, the money from the assessment of persons, and the money that a man's heart prompts him to bring into the house of the Lord, let the priests take, each from his donor, and let them repair the house wherever any need of repairs is discovered. But by the 23rd year of King Jehoash, the priests had made no repairs on the house. Therefore King Jehoash summoned Jehoiada the priest and the other priests and said to them, Why are you not repairing the house? Now, therefore, take no more money from your donors, but hand it over for the repair of the house. So the priests agreed that they should take no more money from the people and that they should not repair the house. Then Jehoiada the priest took a chest and bored a hole in the lid of it and set it beside the altar on the right side as one entered the house of the Lord. And the priests who guarded the threshold put in it all the money that was brought into the house of the Lord. And whenever they saw that there was much money in the chest, the king's secretary and the high priest came up and they bagged and counted the money that was found in the house of the Lord. Then they would give the money that was weighed out into the hands of the workmen who had oversight of the house of the Lord, and they paid it out to the carpenters and the builders who worked on the house of the Lord and to the masons and the stonecutters, as well as to buy timber and quarried stone for making repairs on the house of the Lord and for any outlay for the repairs of the house. But there were not made for the house of the Lord basins of silver, snuffers, bowls, trumpets, or any vessels of gold or of silver from the money that was brought into the house of the Lord, for that was given to the workmen who were repairing the house of the Lord with it. And they did not ask an accounting from the men into whose hand they delivered the money to pay out to the workmen, for they dealt honestly." The money from the guilt offerings and the money from the sin offerings was not brought into the house of the Lord. It belonged to the priests. At that time, Hazael, king of Syria, went up and fought against Gath and took it. 
But when Hazael set his face to go up against Jerusalem, Jehoash, king of Judah, took all the sacred gifts that Jehoshaphat and Jehoram and Ahaziah, his fathers, the kings of Judah, had dedicated, and his own sacred gifts, and all the gold that was found in the treasuries of the house of the Lord and of the king's house, and sent these to Hazael, king of Syria. Then Hazael went away from Jerusalem. Now the rest of the acts of Joash and all that he did, are they not written in the book of the Chronicles of the kings of Judah? His servants arose and made a conspiracy and struck down Joash in the house of Milo on the way that goes down to Selah. It was Josachar, the son of Shimeath, and Jehozavad, the son of Shomer, his servants, who struck him down so that he died. And they buried him with his fathers in the city of David, and Amaziah, his son, reigned in his place. This is God's word. Be warned, receiving the finest theological education possible will not immunize you from apostasy. Now, the life of Joash, also known as Jehoash, has more to teach us than that sobering truth. But surely this is one of the terrifying lessons that the sad trajectory of Joash's life does teach us. I began to work on this text, and I was intrigued by putting side by side the genealogy of uh, the dynasty of David in 1 Chronicles 3, with the genealogy of the dynasty of David leading to the Messiah in Matthew chapter 1. You know what I found? Joash isn't mentioned by Matthew. Matthew skips right over Ahaziah, Joash's father, and Joash and Amaziah, Joash's son, kings that together ruled Judah for a total of 70 years. Forty of those were Joash's reign, And Matthew skips them all together. Oh, he inserts, as you will recall, the Gentile women, breaking with the tradition typically of Hebrew genealogies. He will put in Tamar and Rahab and Ruth and Uriah's wife. But he omits these three kings, including Joash, who reigned so long and who started so well. As we heard last week, rescued as an infant from the rage of a tyrant who was out to eliminate the seed of the woman, out to eradicate the house of David, rescued as an infant, sort of like Moses was rescued as an infant from the rage of a tyrant who wanted to blot out the people of God. Sort of like Jesus was rescued as an infant or a toddler from the rage of King Herod who wanted to blot out a rival who was a legitimate heir of David. We heard that Joash was crowned last week in a bold coup orchestrated by the courageous and faithful priest Jehoiada. (coughs) In that coronation, the testimony, that is the book of the covenant of God, was placed in his hands, as should rightly be done, because Moses had said in Deuteronomy 18 that the king was to keep a copy of the covenant close at hand, to read it, to study it, to ponder it, to have it humble his heart. So there is the law in the hand of Joash as he begins his reign. And Joash begins well, it seems, beginning of chapter 12, our text, 
We read in verse 2, And Jehoash did what was right in the eyes of the Lord all his days, because Jehoiada the priest instructed him. Or, if you're reading the New International Version, I just read the ESV, Joash did what was right in the eyes of the Lord all the years that Jehoiada the priest instructed him. Because or that? makes a lot of difference at this point. How do you answer that question? You go back to the Hebrew. In Hebrew, at least in my knowledge of Hebrew, others can correct me, doesn't actually help us here. What we have at that crucial point is the word asher, which either means because or it means that. It can mean one or the other depending on context and different translators read it in different ways. And it may well be, my theory is, that the inspired author of Kings doesn't want us to know quite yet which is the case. Did Jehoash, in a sense, as one way you can read it, did he, was he faithful to the Lord through his whole life? You could read verse 2 in that way because he'd been taught by Jehoiada. Or was he faithful only all the days that Jehoiada instructed him? The end of the story will make it known to us, but uh, in verse 2 we haven't read to the end of the story. So we, as is often in life, you have to see the end when you get there. So Joash starts strong, at least. That's what we're led to expect in verse 2. He's walking, doing what's right in the eyes of the Lord. He sounds like a faithful son of David. Uh, He's eager to see the house of the Lord uh, restored. And, of course, there's great detail here, which we're not going to get into, about all that that involves, Uh, having it repaired after uh, the uh, abuse and neglect and even plundering under the authority of his grandmother, Athaliah, and the years that she had usurped the throne. Um, But he is like a new Solomon, in a sense, wanting to see the house of the Lord restored in all of its ways. And when the priests, presumably because of other priorities, are a bit slow in making sure that those repairs are made, then the king steps in and he says, let's find another way to do this. Uh, You don't collect the offerings for the repair of the house. We'll have a special box made. Jehoiada does that. Uh, There's a double accounting of a royal uh, representative and a priestly representative. Uh, All the the funds that come in, it seems almost as abundantly as when the tabernacle was first made in the wilderness and at the time when Solomon built the temple. All this abundance of funds given to the workmen who do the work and the house is repaired. Great. Wonderful. Everything's going great. Better and better. Well, of course, there is verse 3, though, isn't there? (laughs) But the high places were not taken away, and the people continued to sacrifice and make offerings on the high places. Not all. Not all the wonder years of the the early reign of Joash. There's still that problem. Where was the king when he should have been leading and defending the uniqueness of the Lord among the hearts of the people of Judah? Something's amiss here. What's going on? Well, of course, the answer begins to come out. The author to the kings is pretty restrained in his description in verses 17 and following. Uh, But there's a problem for sure, and it begins to come out when he begins to tell us two events toward the end of Joash's reign and life. The first is the invasion by Hazael, the king of Syria, invading Judah's territory, seizing the coastal town of Gath, and then moving 
to besiege Jerusalem until Joash buys him off with the sacred gifts from the royal treasuries and from the house of the Lord. Suddenly the influx of the glad wealth of Israel, gladly given into the house of the Lord, now is going the other direction. It's going out to the Syrians. So Joash buys political peace at the price of plundering and defiling the Lord's house. And then there's the end, when his own servants assassinate him. End of story, Joash. What a disappointment. Well, actually, it's even a lot worse than you might have guessed from Kings, because when you look over in Second Chronicles chapter 24, you hear the story behind the story. Uh, and you should preach Second Kings only from Second Kings and not go over to Second Chronicles, but I'm going to violate that today and tell you a little bit of the other part of the story to fill things in. Chronicles, the chronicler, makes it very clear how we should read, actually, 2 Kings 12, too. He says, Joash did what was right in the eyes of the Lord all the days of Jehoiada the priest. Little change, but it makes a big difference, doesn't it? As long as Jehoiada was alive, Joash stayed on the rails, apparently, in covenant faithfulness. And Chronicles is saying that because Chronicles will point out that after the death of Jehoiada, after the death of that godly spiritual mentor, the king will be seduced by the flattery of his aristocrats. He will begin endorsing the people's dabbling with the Asherim and the idols on the high places. Like Solomon's foolish son, Rehoboam, he will begin to listen to his peers. And as a result, all of his potential influence for righteousness as a king begins to dissipate. But the Lord, in his faithful patience and jealous love, sends prophets to bring Joash and Judah back. Preeminently, he causes his spirit to fall on Zechariah, the son of the priest Jehoiada. The son of Joash's wise spiritual mentor. The son of the man who had given him the premier theological education priest who had trained Joash in the way and the word of the Lord, his son, now stands up as a prophet to confront the covenant infidelity of the king and of the people. This is Joash's moment of truth, the chronicler shows us. Will he hear the voice of the father in the voice of the son? Will he listen? He won't. He will not. The king puts out a contract on Zechariah's life. Zechariah's blood is shed in the temple courts. And the writer of Chronicles says, so the king did not remember the chesed. ESV renders it kindness. You know the richness of that word. Did not remember the covenant loyalty and love of Jehoiada when he killed Jehoiada's son. Yes, yes. David's DNA flows through the physical veins of Joash, but this is no new David. Man. When David meets the son of Jonathan, he remembers Jonathan's chesed, right? What can I do to show Mephibosheth, this 
dependent, cripple, potentially, I suppose, a rival for the throne, but what can I do to show him chesed, to show him loyalty for the sake of the loyalty that his father showed me? That's David's question. Joash forgets it all. Get this troubler out of here. Silence his indicting voice. And so the king authorizes his death. And the last words of Zechariah as his life is bleeding out in the temple courts is, the Lord will see and the Lord will avenge. And that's why the Syrians come. That's why the Syrians come. And not only that, Hazael comes, captures Gath, threatens Jerusalem with a tiny invasion force much smaller than the great defensive army of Judah. Not used to those proportions in the ancient Near East. Judah's usually the the little one. But this time, again, Chronicle says, Judah has the big army, Hazael has the tiny army, and Hazael's army wins the victory and sets Judah on the run and wounds the king, Joash. And we think of Jonathan again. And Jonathan told his servant, the Lord's, harm, the Lord's arm can save by many or by few. And Jonathan and his servant put to rout a whole garrison of Philistines. But now things are upside down. Now the mighty army of Judah is put to flight by a tiny army of Syrians because the Lord is handed over his people into the hands of pagans. So Joash pays off Hazael, not altogether voluntarily, obviously. He returns wounded, and it's that occasion that, as Kings tells us, gives his servants the opportunity to assassinate him. Well, what would you expect from servants of a traitor? They betray him, right? He hasn't shown chesed to Jehoiada by hearing Jehoiada's son Zechariah. How can he expect chesed from his servants? He can't. And so they forget covenant loyalty and kill him. So what's the point of this whole shameful business? I'm beyond time, but what is it? First of all, look at Joash and remember to measure him, as we are really called to measure all of the kings in the books of Kings, in the light not just of David, although that's often the the way the writer says, did they follow in in the ways of David or not, but ultimately in the in the uh, measure them in the light of the criteria given by David in his last words in 2 Samuel 23, verses 1 through 7. Because David is a good standard, but he's not the perfect standard. And in those last words, that oracle, David looked ahead to a king who would rule in absolute justice, who would be like a sunrise after a rainy night with the clear sky. That king we keep looking for in a son of David. And we certainly don't see it in Joash. We need a better king. We need one who can say truly, lifelong, the words that we sang at the beginning, which, as I said, Hebrews tells us Jesus was speaking to the Father in his incarnation as he came into the world. I desire to do your will, O my God. Your law is within my heart. The law had been placed in Joash's hand in his coronation. But the death of Jehoiada and the way Joash went off track after his mentor was gone showed that the law hadn't permeated into his heart. Jesus is the king we need. Rescued from slaughter in infancy as Joash was, 
zealous for the building of God's house for jo- as Joash had been for a while. But unlike Joash, Jesus maintained chesed, covenant loyalty to the Lord and amazingly to us, straight through to the finish line, fulfilling obedience even to death, even death on the cross. Look away from Joash. Look away from yourself. Look to Jesus. But there's another thing that we need to take away from the tragic downward trajectory of Joash. We need Jesus not only to obey for us from start to finish, actively in his commandment-keeping, passively in his curse-bearing in our place, but we also need Jesus to write the word into our hearts That, too, is a promise of the new covenant. As Jeremiah 31 in Hebrews 8 reminds us, I will put my laws into their minds. I will write them on their hearts. We need that to be the work of the Spirit in these years that we spend together on this campus. Joash would not have Jehoiada forever, and when his priestly mentor was out of the picture, Joash's allegiance to the law, once placed in his hand, obviously faded. I'm not going to presume to claim that your faculty here can compare with the faithful and pious Jehoiada. But the fact is, you're not going to have us forever. At least not face-to-face, up close and personal. If you want to last lifelong in covenant communion and the grace of God, the word has to get down deep within you. Not just in your hand, but into your heart. And that means staying close to Jesus, the king who can truly say, your word is within my heart, and the king who by his Holy Spirit intends to inscribe his word deeply into the hearts of those who trust him. Jesus is the one who never forgets his covenant loyalty to us, even when we fail as we too often do. But he never forgets, he holds us fast And he calls us to look to him in desperate, trustful allegiance with an insatiable appetite for the word. That the word might be written into our hearts. Let's pray together. Father, thank you for your word. Thank you for the cautionary history that we have heard this morning. The man who started well under the mentorship of a faithful teacher of the law and whose end shows that the law had not gotten from his hand into his heart. But Father, thank you for the king you've given to us, who is faithful from start to finish, who remembers covenant loyalty from start to finish. And thank you for the work of your spirit in our hearts and in our lives. Keep us mindful of our need to have Jesus inscribe the word deeply into us. We pray in his name. Amen. Copyright 2008, Westminster Seminary, California. All rights reserved. You are permitted to reproduce and distribute this material in any format, provided that you do not alter the wording in any way, and you do not charge a fee beyond the cost of reproduction. For web posting, a link to this broadcast on our website is preferred.